This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 67. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Brandon? Josh Dorkin, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. Good, good. I, uh, we just got done recording this episode and it was an awesome, awesome episode. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. And and uh, what what's what's actually just as awesome is when people are listening to the show. You and I will be in San Francisco, and why are we going to be in San Francisco, Brandon? Because we are going to be presenting at. I don't remember what it was. A company it was a small company. It's a I, you know it's one of the smaller ones out there. Yeah, uh, with G. Gah, yeah Go- gah, Google. Google. Yeah, that's right. That's that, right. That'll be fun. What, Yes, yes, yeah. No, we're we're really looking forward to it. We're uh, Brandon and I are, are going to be speaking at Google, helping the Googleites. I don't know what they're called, but perhaps that's what they're called. The the Googleites, uh, Googlers, Googlers. That's with, people with, who use Google. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Whatever. We're 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 doing a little presentation on on kicking off your real estate investing, and and uh, I know I'm really excited, and it should be a fun trip, and and should be uh, should be great. Yeah, yeah, that should be fun. I'm uh, looking forward to it. So we'll let everyone know uh, how that went uh, in the following week, hopefully. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, let's get on with the show. Before we do, why don't we do our quick, quick tip? Quick tip. All right. Today's quick tip is a CRM. If you have not heard of a CRM, you uh, you need to know what this thing is. A CRM is a customer relationship management software platform, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but a CRM can help you stay organized, track leads, remember to follow up, and keep you completely stress-free. That's not true, but it'll keep you way less stressed, hopefully, if you've got one set up. And uh, we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, CRMs towards the end of this show. Our guest today uh, is is using such a system, and, and he's really, really fond of it. So uh, we definitely recommend paying attention and of course, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask them in the show notes, which you can find at biggerpockets.com slash show 67. But we definitely recommend uh, getting organized and, and a CRM is a great way to do that. So check it out. Uh, again, I just want to reiterate to all, uh, all of our listeners, you know, please, if you like the show and get value out of it, jump on iTunes and leave us ratings and reviews. We really, really love those. They help us to spread the word. So let people know what you think about the Bigger Pockets podcast by leaving us a rating and review. And with that, we're going to get the show started. Today's show is with Tim Gordon. Uh, Tim's a wholesaler in San Diego, and uh, he's really rocking it. He's he's uh, another guy who uh, learned his way around real estate through Bigger Pockets and. Uh, you know, hopefully you'll you'll listen up and and learn how he's doing. Uh, what 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 do you say, Brandon? Uh, 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 several wholesale deals per month yeah, now. Two to three a month. Two to three a month consistently. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of really really good tips in the show. So definitely stay tuned and listen up. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. 
With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. And with that, why don't we bring him on, Mr. Tim. Tim Gordon, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you. It is an honor to be on the Bigger Pockets podcast. It was Ooh, an honor. honor. I like that. I like that. I like that. Very cool. Well, hey, Tim, it's nice to see you officially. I know we've uh, chatted online just a few times back and forth. So it's always nice to put a face to the uh, to the personality. The only thing about the face that troubles me is Uh-oh. that Detroit hat that he's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into that. That'll be fun. <laughs> but you don't, right, live, you don't live in Detroit, though, correct? No, I, I'm actually in, I'm in San Diego, California. So I, I, I've paid my dues and I don't think I'm ever going back. Nice. Nice. There you go. There you go. But by the way, I don't know if we talked about this, Brandon. Uh, sorry to cut you off here, Tim, but there was a piece on CNN the other day that I, that I have to rant about a little bit. There was this piece about like this data that was saying how great a place Detroit is to invest in. 
And I, I really, yeah, I was taken aback by it because the, you know. Uh, yeah, the title was called like, if you want to make money as a landlord, try Detroit. Yeah. I mean, literally it was like buy here, buy now. And it, it looked at some data that was legitimate data saying that, you know, some of the numbers in Detroit are good as, as they are. Like the article and, I wrote a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But, but the difference between your article and that article is you actually stepped out and said, there's more to look at here, you know, and, and you can't just go and buy a deal because CNN says that Detroit is cheap or that some data says that it's cheap. You got to look at all the other data that says, well, it's cheap and it's cheap for a reason. Um, but uh, since we brought it up and, and it was something <laughs> that just came up, I thought I'd put it out there. What's, what's your take on that, Tim? I think they might want to rename that article. If, if you're wondering where your copper pipes went, you might own a rental in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played, my friend. Well played. That's awesome. All right. So th- that rant over. How did you? Uh, how'd you get started in real estate investing? You, you, you know, uh, you started working on the side while you were working a full time job, right? Yeah. It's um, no lie. I actually did begin it at Bigger Pockets. I, oh, nice. I was, it was the summer of 2011 and I was dating a girl who was basically a private money lender. So she had the cash and she would loan it to a partner who would rehab houses and they'd split everything down the middle. And so she introduced me to the bigger pockets website. Um, I would start reviewing deals with her, but I was just, you know, someone on the sidelines. I wasn't actually doing anything, but, uh, I worked in the corporate world uh, ever since graduating college. And so here I was working you know, for somebody else, probably 60 hours a week coming home to see somebody who's been at Pilates classes all day or at the <laughs> beach and they're doing a lot better than I am. And I want that job. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and, you know, the, the private lenders, you know, on the higher level of the real estate investor world, but it, it's starting to make me aware of more of a different lifestyle that was available to you than just working at a day job for somebody else. And the, I do like working and I like to be busy, but the the idea of not having to work on somebody else's schedule, not having to report to other people and, and that there was this thing that you could do on your own. And so that got me into the bigger pockets. I started attending local real estate investment clubs in Southern California. And it, after that, it just took off. Um, it got me interested in researching wholesaling and furthering my education. And that was where it all began. Nice. Right on. Right no, wholesaling is kind of your main thing now, right? I mean, that's your bread yes. and butter. Uh, it is. Um, I'm a. I typically wholesale about two to three deals a month. I've last year I kind of fell off the track a little bit. I bought a fourplex and I bought a house and I rehab both of them, and it was a lot of fun and it was something that was a goal of mine to do. But it drew me away from what I really like doing in real estate, which is wholesaling. That if if I can do all day long wholesaling, I'm happy. All right, so so I'm going to jump in and and say, you know, first, how how long did you uh, did it take you to to get that first deal? You decided, hey, I'm going to be a wholesaler. Uh, how long did it actually take? And then I'd like to hear your follow up on on the age old question because there's a lot of debate on this. You know, should new investors start by wholesaling? Do you had a chance to do something else? Would you- that is a fantastic question. So the funny thing is, it took me well over a year to get my first wholesale deal, and I'm not embarrassed to share that. I actually you shouldn't be. I want to share that because a lot of people I think actually you should be. You should be really embarrassed. That's that's horrifying. <laughs> I was doing a lot of things wrong, and it it took a reevaluation to learn how to correct those things to become successful at wholesaling, but. 
it, it took well over a year because I really wasn't hundred percent committed to the practice of, of treating it like a business. I was treating it more like, um, once I'm successful at it, then I will invest in it. And that's not the right method for, for creating any businesses going to succeed. You need to be willing to invest, willing to you know spend the money on the marketing, put in the efforts to generate the leads to grab a deal. And once I made a larger commitment, treated it like a business, put structure and systems in place, it took me three months to get a deal. And I was cranking uh, from there on. And then in regards to your question, should new people wholesale? I, I'm not sure, honestly, I don't think everyone should. I, I like to say that there's a place for everybody on real estate island and <laughs> everyone has different personalities. And if you're trying to force yourself to do something that doesn't make you happy and doesn't excite you, I really don't think that you should be doing that. So for me, I'm a very outgoing person. I come from a sales background. Um, I like to, to chase you know things. And so wholesaling to me was a perfect fit for my personality style and for what my background training had been in business. If it hadn't been, I don't think it would have been a wise move. I think that I think partnering with experienced individuals in whatever field of interest you have is the best way to begin. So if you're interested in flipping, you should shadow an active rehabber and learn the process from them. If you're, you know, if you want to be a landlord, then you should shadow a landlord. If you want to be a let, et cetera. So I I don't think you should just start in wholesaling. I think that's really poor advice. I think you should start by partnering up or becoming almost like a, a mentee to somebody who is the next level above you and where you want to become. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's good, no, that's, good, that's good, good advice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So why, why inevitably did you actually end up picking wholesaling to start with? To me, it, there was a low, a low risk for one, but also it, it almost matched what I was doing for my day job of outside sales. It was, you know, it was business, it was everything. And so that's why it was the perfect, you know, perfect way for me to start. Well, and I think that's interesting right there is that the people that I know that are the best wholesalers, I mean, I'm not, you know, the world's best wholesaler or anything, but the people that are really good at it are people who come from sales backgrounds. A lot of the best wholesalers I know have been salesmen of some kind, because I think that that is a major skill you need to succeed at wholesaling because you have to talk to people or you at least have to have the right people in place to be able to do that for you. But yeah, generally, I think that sales background is really, really important. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it too is what's going to make you happy. I mean, if you don't enjoy what you're doing every day, there's there's really not more fortune you know in doing it. I mean, we all like money and things, but if you're not truly satisfied in what you're doing every day, why do it? So, I see a lot of people who they can get a wholesale deal done, and they're very talented people, but it doesn't satisfy them. So, what's the point? You know, yeah. There's there's other things you can do that will excite you in real estate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, cool. Well, hey, let's go actually kind of dive into the, your strategy for finding the wholesale deals. If you're looking at them, you said you didn't really get a whole lot until you started taking it seriously and investing in your marketing. Uh, so what is, I guess, what does your marketing look like? What weren't you doing that you started doing more? Are you, is, I, I mean, are you ask, you're asking him pretty much what he did wrong when he started, yeah? Hey, yeah, what did you do wrong? And then what, what did that transition into? Yeah, well, I'm happy to cover a bit of both because what I, I really love to do is motivate other people to become successful in these things. So I think sometimes sharing some of the pain or the mistakes is a very helpful way to help other people avoid it. And so at the beginning, I would maybe go to a real estate meeting, get amped up, you know, for a few weeks, and I would put out some mailers, say maybe 500 yellow letters or something, and the calls would come in, they wouldn't seem very motivated, or I was very timid, or I was nervous to screw it up. And then, you know, the calls would 
slowly fade away. And then I would sit around, you know, wondering why I don't have a deal. And then I'd go to another meeting a month later. And so it was inconsistent marketing, inconsistent follow-up, um, inconsistent tracking of the leads. Basically, I would just save the number in my phone if I thought that they might be a motivated seller. And if they weren't, it was forgotten about. So I kept no database. Um, it was like a hobby instead of a business. And so all of those things were, were one of, they were allowing me to, you know, really generate anything decent. What shifted was I basically created a marketing schedule where, you know, this day, this week, we're doing these mailers. We set up a voicemail system where all the calls go to. All of the leads are entered into a database now. And so they're consistently tracked. And there's a follow-up schedule with all of those leads. And so really all I did was I, I just turned it into a business. So everything has structure and methods that will allow it to be easily traced, easily tracked, and followed up upon. And as soon as I started doing that and doing it consistently, the deal started happening. The other thing I did do is I went on higher volume mailers. Like, you know, I spent a considerable larger sum on you know, marketing. So I, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, how, when, when you say consistent, you know, wh- what do you think, uh, well, larger sum on, on the mailing, you know, if you don't mind sharing, I mean, approximately how much money is that a month? You know, it, and, and, is, and do you think that amount is necessary uh, in terms of being consistent for, for somebody to, to have, a, have a steady deal flow? I think for a steady deal flow, yes. I think if you're just looking to grab deals here and there, you don't have to do it that way. But sometimes it's just a, it, it's pure chance. Um, you know, maybe Brandon's got a property and, you know, he's just evicted a tenant. And luckily enough, my postcard hit him the day that he got out of court and the house is vacant. And he just says, perfect, I'm done. So that was, it was timing, just good fortune got my card to land in his hands. But for a consistent flow of deals, yes. Um, I mail about four to 5,000 postcards per month. That runs me about $1,800 to $2,000, depending on, you know, how it's printed, the color, things like that. And all I did was I'm a big fan of reverse engineering. So I know that I need about 25 to 30 leads usually to get a deal. And if my response rate is a certain percentage, then I just reverse engineer it to that. And that's the number I mail. Is that, and, and that sounds like that's the, uh, the sales background kind of working in, right? Definitely. And it was guidance from other people too. I mean, going on bigger pockets or researching where people start, you notice these trends and they'll say, this is your average response rate. This is how many deals it usually takes to get from a mailer. And you start seeing it and tracking your own things too. What kind of response rate on your, uh, you said postcards, right? I'm predominantly postcards these All right. days. All right. So what kind of, I also want to ask why postcards, but we'll get to that in a second. What kind of response rate do you typically see? I mean, or do you track that like 1%, 2%, something like that? I, I track everything religiously and the response rate can vary from anywhere from a half of a percent to 1% if you're very lucky. Okay. And then out of those, let's say 1%, you send out a thousand mailers, you get 1% of them to actually call you, which would be 10 people. Yes. And then how many people, you said 20 to 30 phone calls in order to get one deal? Is that what you were saying? Usually. And it's funny, I've, the, I've been doing this for a while now, so I'm getting much better on the phone. I'm, I'm training an assistant right now and I'm nervous because my close rate is getting better and better with each mail campaign. So uh, I did a 4,500 mail piece campaign and I've got two deals already from it and probably another two that I'm going to get from it. So that's an astonishing uh, close rate because yeah. you, I mean, usually that's 45 phone calls and I'm saying it's one out of 25 and I'm getting four out of 45. But I think that was just some good luck too. One out of 25 is what is the goal. 
That's great. Yeah, that's great. So, so what are you using in terms of organization? You know, do you do you just use a um, Excel spreadsheet, or you know, are you using some kind of software to to manage and organize yourself? What are you doing there? Excel spreadsheets scare me. The, the idea of running a business through an Excel spreadsheet, like if there was a hell, that's that's one of the things that I. Would <laughs> I guess I'm in hell. <laughs> so, it's it's just not for me. Um, I there's a software called Zoho. And they make a customer relationship management software. And this, again, was some good fortune from my sales background. Um, I used ACT there. So you've got ACT, Salesforce, Zoho. There's tons of them. So you can just pick one that is more suited to you. I like Zoho because it's cloud-based. And I've actually completely customized it to my business. And so, Josh, Brandon, either of you could log in. You could see what deals are in escrow, what stage of the closing process. You could see what the new leads are. You could see... You could open up a lead and you would know the owner, how we found them, the transaction details, you know, the numbers, the property details, and their exact situation. And you could just walk into it and know everything. And the reason I, I did that a year and a half ago was because I knew that eventually I would be hiring in somebody and I didn't want them to be trying to figure out how to work my way. I wanted them to be able to sit down and know everything from the minute they looked at it. That's nice. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, I've not used Zoho, but I've heard about it. And uh I really need actually because I am also in that uh, that hell of Excel spreadsheets everywhere. Well, I shouldn't say Excel. I use like Google Docs, which is probably worse because it's it's cloud based <laughs> at least, but there's it's not as fancy. So anyway, yeah, I've been I've been needing to do that for quite a while now. Um, let let me go back to the phone call thing. You said when you were starting, you weren't very good at it. This is an area I absolutely suck at. I just don't like talking on the phone, and so which is ironic for co-hosting a podcast. That is, for that is rather interesting for a guy who doesn't shut up. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do not like talking on the phone. Like I just hate it. My voicemail right now. If you call me, don't call me. But if you call me, it just What's says, your number. <laughs> my voicemail is, hi, I don't answer my phone. So this is important. Leave me a message and I'll call you back. Maybe <laughs> like that's my voicemail. Um, that's awesome. Way, anyway, way, way to have a good voicemail to attract yeah. clients. That's not my, that's not my <laughs> business voicemail, like my, you know, lead voicemail. But anyway, I want to go back to the phone call. How do you, can you kind of walk me, I mean, walk me through this. How should I, as somebody who's terrible and does not like using the phone, how do I get better? What do you do? What do you say when people call you or when you call them back? Should we role play? I want free, yeah, I want free advice here. <laughs> it's, well, it's funny. I mean, but before I know that, I will tell you, there are a lot of sellers who share that trait with you. And so there's a lot of people who share these traits. And so they might actually prefer to talk by a text message with you. And so with some sellers, you can actually read that they're not, that into speaking on the phone too, and the call will slowly transition to text message. I've bought houses by a text message from sellers before because wow. you could tell they didn't want to speak on the phone. But it's you just have to have a, a friendly enthusiasm to it, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And I actually um, I feel very Californian saying this, but if I know I have a day full of phone calls to make to sellers, I will actually meditate for about half an hour prior, and I don't know what about it it does, but it just gets me in the zone, and I just. I start calling them and I'm in a, it, I think it puts me in a happier mood and I just start getting friendly. And really it's what I like to do is I like to kind of be a chameleon. So I match my tone with their tone and I will record all of my phone calls so I can listen to them later. And also for training purposes for my new assistant. And so being aware that I'm recording the phone call for some reason makes me more aware to be better while I'm on the phone with them. And so if they're speaking slowly, I'm speaking slowly. If they're speaking fast and they're just saying, Give me the number. What are you going to pay for my house? What do you want? Then I go right back at him at the exact same speed. 
Hey, and, and just a quick thing on, on the phone call. Anyone listening, you be careful uh, recording phone calls because there's things called wiretapping. In some states, if you don't have permission of the other person, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. So make sure you know your local laws and make sure it's okay. And if it's not okay and you have to put disclaimers in the call, make sure that you do that. It's something really important to know. I did not know. The that. more you know. <laughs> Good advice. All right, yep, so yep. you you get a person on the phone, you talk to them, and they say, you know, I don't know. Let's say they say that I, how much do you want to pay for my house? I mean, this. What do you want to buy my house for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I might hit him right back and say, Why do you want to sell it? I don't like my wife. And then I say, <laughs> Okay. And while I'm on the phone with them, I, so the lead comes in and they leave their address and their phone number. So. A better situation is I already have their address. I've looked it up online. Yeah. I've got a quick idea. If I just have to throw a number out because they're putting pressure on me, then I'm going to throw a really low number out. And if they have a bad reaction, then I can say, you gave me 10 seconds to think, so that's my price. You know, if you want to give me some more time, I'll get a better number if you let me research what I think it's worth. Oh, gotcha. And if, if they're coming at you aggressive, you have to be just the same to them. Otherwise, I don't think they'll respect you. Otherwise, you really have to... And it's probably a... a, a a bum lead anyways, if they're being that aggressive with you, but you want to take them all seriously. So I would throw a number right back at them just as quick as they've asked me for a number. All right. So you get, you get, let's say 25. I mean, let's say you send out what we talked about earlier. You send out a thousand, let's say you send out 3000 mailers and at 1%, you get 30 phone calls out of that. They leave 30 voicemails. Do you hit all of them like once a day? I mean, once a week, once a month, like how do you return those phone calls? We're going to go right right away. We're going to try and get them because that, that's a hot lead. So the, the minute that call comes in, all time is dedicated to returning those as fast as possible. If if it, if we succeed at speaking with them, then we go to the next step, whether it's setting up a meeting or getting them an offer, et cetera. If it goes to voicemail, we're going to leave them a voicemail every day, every other day, pretty much until they call us back. And then we're going to get them, if they're not very motivated or they're mediocre, we're going to set them up into a follow-up cycle. So once a month, Twice a month, we're going to do a follow-up call to them. Because sometimes the, the best deals come from the follow-ups. And honestly, that's where a lot of the new wholesalers fall short is they do a mailer, the calls come in, they don't have a way to track them properly, mm-hmm. and then they forget to start following up with them. Now, yeah. now the, the daily phone calls sound, sound kind of like the collection agent. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I wonder, uh, is there... I mean, I, I don't know because I'm, you know, I'm not tracking your numbers, but I, I would wonder, you know, does it come to a point where that almost annoys people and turns them off? Oh, this guy is being a pain. He's too aggressive. Or, or I, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things I would, I would question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think for the first week, we're going to go pretty aggressively. And after that first week, it'll start to taper off, usually because there's other tasks that we're trying to focus on. But that's actually an area that I'm trying to structure better because I'm bringing on help. And so before they would taper off because of my schedule, now I do agree to be not too aggressive. They should taper off, but we're going to start to design whatever we deem fit be the best follow-up practice. I got, I got yeah. you. And I, got I mean, you. if it, if it's working, not that I'm saying we, we want to go annoy people, but if you're annoying nine out of 10 people, but one out of 10 people sells you a property, you can make a $5,000 profit off of. I mean, nine out of 10 people can be annoyed for me to make $5,000. You know what I mean? Like, wow. I'm not saying like, let's be jerks. I'm annoyed right now, jerky. Yeah. <laughs> that's, wow. You know, that's, it's a very good point, Brandon. Here's another one. So thank you. You don't like talking to sellers, right? And it was like, what if I gave you 10 grand for making a phone call? Yep. You do it, right? I would. So 
that's what you're missing out on. You, that could be one of those $10,000 phone calls that you're not making right now. He just called you out. He just said, <laughs> you know, you know get, get, get over yourself. And you but it, Well, I mean, I, I know I need to do more of it. Yeah. I just, it's, it's not my, kind of you said earlier, right? It's like some people excel at certain things. I figure I really like, you know, small multifamilies. I can buy them from banks all day long. I mean, things like that are, are easy for me because I don't have to like talk to anybody <laughs> ever. <laughs> and I get like chocolate at the, uh, you know, the escrow company. They give out free candy. I mean, that's I, I got a, I got a butter knife. I, who, who gets a <laughs> butter knife? <laughs> you got a butter knife at closing? Wow, yeah, nice. with, with, with an engraved butter knife. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. That I, cool. I felt like Wayne and Wayne's world where he's like a gun rack, you know, like, <laughs> I don't have butter, let alone the need for a butter knife. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So I, I want to step back a second here too. Earlier on, you had talked about marketing schedules and follow-up schedules and that kind of stuff. I, I wonder if you'd be willing to dig in on that a little bit. You know, what 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 are you doing? What is your marketing schedule and 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 what is the follow-up other than you know beat them on the head until they call the cops on you? <laughs> Currently it's it's very simple and I'm in, I'm looking forward to stepping this up on more professional ways, but right now it's basically we we map out San Diego County, and there's high net worth areas within San Diego County. There's no reason to mail to those, so we're shooting for properties that are between six hundred thousand and below, and we map out those zip codes and we're going to pull in the data and then we mail those. and The goal is to mail them three to four times a year by a postcard, and so we'll you know we'll do one region. And then we'll set them up to be hit again in three months. And then the next month we'll do the next region. And so that gives us the steady flow of calls coming in and we're kind of blanketing the area. Uh, you know, it's, it's a rotating marketing campaign, basically. Gotcha. Gotcha. And are you, are you marketing to absentee landlords? Are you, uh, you know, what, what kind of motivated sellers are you, are you reaching right now? Absentee is my favorite. I've done owner-occupant, but I think it takes a, a far greater volume to hit owner-occupant. So absentee is, is hands down my favorite. It's pretty much anything. I don't anything from a four-unit down to a townhouse. Townhouse I will hit. So I mail condos, townhouses, single-family, duplex, triplex, fourplex, absentee owner. Uh, purchased. I think I'm going from like 2003 and back now. I don't do anything with equity. Don't care. Um, if they're upside down, then I'll refer it to someone to do a short sale. So I hit a pretty broad list. Gotcha. 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 So what what do your deals typically look like? I mean, I think most wholesalers that we probably have spoken with, and and, and I think, I'm, I'm going to generalize, most people I think who are probably wholesaling are probably doing so uh, on cheaper properties than 600000 uh, may, Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I haven't spoken to a lot of people that that really target as high as that. Uh, so, so what are you, what are you making on a typical deal? It'll vary. It's kind of funny. It's, it's usually pretty darn close to what a realtor would make. So in, in most cases, I'm actually still saving the homeowner money versus listing it. Cause if you look at 6% of a $600,000 house, that's a large sum. So a wholesale fee could vary anywhere from 50,000 to $2,000. I've seen other, I've got other friends who close much larger ones in this area. Uh, the the high value of the properties allows for a larger spread, so that is an advantage that we have. But it is a more competitive market. But on average, I'd say ten to forty thousand dollars. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Well, I was gonna say you mentioned it being a competitive market, so these people are probably getting multiple mailings. They're probably getting talking to multiple wholesalers. Why do they pick you? Why why do you even succeed above the other ones? That's a very good point. That certain certain lists, and everyone has agreed on this, that sometimes these lists just Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes it's timing. 
sometimes you are competing against other wholesalers. And if you're competing against other wholesalers, and we've got some really savvy individuals here in San Diego, you've got to know your numbers very well. And you've got to know the buyers that will pay the absolute most for a deal. And that's how you're going to, that's one of the ways that you're going to succeed, but you've also got to be genuinely liked by the seller and they've got to know that you're there to do what you say you're going to do. So you've got to come across as very confident, know what you're doing and you've got to be able to deliver on any promises that you make. And if you can express that uh, effectively to the homeowner, to the seller, you've got a pretty good chance of succeeding. Hey, I, I've got a question. I, and I think I probably ask this every time we have a wholesaler, but again, there's so many people getting into it that, that I think it's important to re-ask the question. So for, for a new wholesaler, you know, I, I think one of the biggest fears for those guys is uh, that they're not going to be able to sell the property. And it's also talking to the seller and trying to, you know, trying to lock the deal in, you know, without, without kind of saying, Hey, I'm going to buy this from you, but I'm not really buying it. I'm actually kind of buying it. And then I'm going to find another buyer and they're going to come and, you know, you're going to close with them, not with me. You know, what do you, how do you get past that? How can new investors kind of overcome that? Is, is there any just easy one liner that, that helps them get through that or what? Well, I will say this. I was absolutely terrified the first time I had to try and lock up my own deal and that with sellers, it, it was scary. So you're not alone if you're in that place right now, but what's important is that you, you keep pushing forward and, and trying to improve yourself and go through this because the next time it's going to be easier. And so it's really no different than a, than a, a rehabber who's got a hard money lender or a partner, you know, they're going to lock up a deal and then their partner is going to review it, double check the numbers, and then they're going to agree or disagree on whether or not they want to close on that deal. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking at a deal we're going to secure it at a certain price and then we're going to bring it to other partners. We're either going to decide, yes, we want to buy it or no, we don't. So it's the same practice. It is slightly different in terms of who's actually rehabbing the property, but I have partners and we're going to introduce it to one of them who's going to invest with me on this property and they're going to have the final say on if they think it's a good buyer or not. Gotcha. And, and then in terms of the actual dialogue, so you are telling these folks, Hey, listen, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a buyer of this property and do you explain the and or assigns or, or do you not explain that to them in, in the agreement? Are you, uh, how do you handle that? It'll vary on each deal. If there's someone whose personality style is that they want to know every nut and bolt to the process, then they're going to be made aware that this property will be closed on in another company's name because they're the person with the money and they're the person that rehabs it. And I'm the person that finds the properties. So my, my purpose to this partner is I'm the deal finder. They're gotcha. the deal fixer. And so I take on a acquisitions role, basically. That's yeah. what I'm here to do. I'm not the fixer. And if it's someone who that's not an interest of theirs, then it's not really discussed because there's really no need to bring up something that they're not interested in. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cool. All right. So you are you're wholesaling. You sounds like you you know you've got a pretty pretty steady deal flow going. Are you still working? You've you still got a, a full time job, or or how's how's that work? I do. I have a, a full-time job in outside sales. It does have a flexible schedule and it's a job I've had for five years. It, I'm fortunate to have it because it's allowed me access to some really sweet loans, which is why I bought yep. those properties. Nice. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting job and I do enjoy it, but I do think my goal is to transition into 100% full-time real estate investing. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you brought up something that I I know that we we always harp on when we when we hear it or when, when we have an opportunity, you know, working and having a job 
you know, and having that paycheck coming in, you know, gives definitely gives access uh, to uh, to more money. You know, it certainly helps when when you're trying to get a loan. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of people will go and say, well, you know, I I'm just about making enough money. I'm going to quit today because I want to quit today. And I, I think a lot of other folks might say, yeah, you know, you might want to hold on a second, you know, keep that job for a little bit until you really don't have to worry as much about the financing side. Yeah. And I, I think evaluating your own personal situation is very important because I admire the guts it takes just to leave a job and you are going to go harder at, at your new venture. But I own a rental property and if something if something catastrophic happens there, I'm responsible for it. So I need to be very well funded. I, I, there's certain risks that are not wise for me to take being a landlord, uh, even if I want to pursue my wholesaling on a, on a greater level. And so for those reasons alone, it's, it's wise for me to be a little bit more cautious in my practices. And what does that mean to you? As a landlord, presumably you're talking about having reserves you know, yes. What what does that what does that mean from your perspectives? What what kind of reserves do you think a landlord needs to have? Because I, again, that's another place where I think new investors sometimes will find themselves in trouble. They don't have enough, uh, and and they end up in trouble. So you know, wh- what do you try try to have on hand um, to protect yourself? That's that's a really good question, and I I haven't really considered it in great detail, but I think I would like enough to to keep the property going float for at least six months. Um, if something, you know, or so if say, you know, like a $15,000 for any kind of a major repair and, or if say I'm paying half of the mortgage or all of the mortgage, I want to be able to cover that. I'm, I'm in the process of getting a wholesale deal right now from someone who has no reserves, both tenants decide to stop paying the rent and he's going to either lose the property or sell it to me because he doesn't have any cash reserves. Yeah. So seeing that makes you wise up to what you need to have to be prepared. Yeah. I like the idea of having a float. You know, you you want to you know, assume the worst, right? I, I mean, it sucks to think that you might have, you know, completely empty units for X amount of time. But I, I think if you're um, conservative, six months is, is probably not unreasonable um, to say, hey, I want to make sure I could cover all my payments for six months and have some room for for some big capex in, in case that comes up. Yeah, because I mean, what are your alternatives if if you don't have that money and something goes wrong? You're either going to go borrow it from somebody, or it's going to create unnecessary stress. Well, you life. become a slumlord or whatever else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right on. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale. Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. Before we dig in a little on on the landlord stuff, I'm actually curious. I, you know, we we were talking about uh, the mailings and things like that. I wanted to ask you what your postcards say and what, what do you what's your messaging? Okay, um, well, it's it's obviously everyone can't see it, but I can show it to you guys through the uh, camera. But it basically has vertically down the side of it. It says notice in big letters. So when you get in this in the mail, do you think you're in trouble? You think you're behind on a bill yep. or 
something's happened. It instantly makes you think. Here, put that back up on the screen. So you're, you're thinking crap. And oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's not good. And it's a very simple. I mean, these cost me under forty cents a piece. It, <clears throat> I've made a point to, to personalize them. So uh, I actually had someone create a formula in Excel. So when the full the full name shows up on the title, you know, it could be Smith Family Trust, you know, with the date or so and so. The the formula will actually turn that into Dear Smith Family or Dear John Smith or Dear John and Mary, and it'll include every owner's name in there, just so it's a little bit more personalized. It just says, you know. My name is Tim Gordon. I'm interested in buying your house at, you know, one, two, three, four main street in San Diego. I buy several houses each month and I'm looking to buy more in the area. And I actually just changed the copy on it a little bit, um, on the last one. And it's, I'm trying to do more calls to action. So it says, find out why the timing is right in 2014 to sell and call now. And so it kind of teases them that, you know, there's something going on and, I have been getting more calls from people who are at about a break even and they are accidental landlords and they're seeing that it's about that chance where they can get out. And I really enjoy those leads actually because it's, it's people who don't want the house. They don't want to own it and they're sick of the problem. So someone like me to come in and I'll take it with or without the tenants, with or without repairs right now, they're thrilled. I mean, to them, it's it's the best thing they've ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great... I mean, listen, I, I, I had some property that was was uh, problematic to me and I sold it direct to an investor it was it was the same thing I wanted this thing gone you know the, all the properties around mine were going belly up and vacant and and I was like trapped in this bubble of hell and and literally the only option I had was to just dump it right and and it's, sometimes you got to do that sometimes circumstances you know come in and, and bite you and and you know I think when an investor could come in and save you from your hardship, you know, that, that's going to that's gonna be a net benefit. And, and, and so I think that's part of the pitch, obviously, on the side of the investor is, hey, you know, I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not the bad guy, right? I'm, I'm here. I'm trying to help you out of this difficult opportunity because, you know what, the realtor is going to come in and they're going to try and sell it for the most money. And it's, you know, they're not necessarily... Not always, but they're not. They may not always have the same interest at hand. You know, your interest when you're in that trouble is to dump. You want to get rid of this thing and get rid of it fast. And it typically doesn't mean trying to sell it for the most money possible. It's trying to sell it for as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a problem solver. That is my purpose to the sellers. I'm yeah. there to either deal with um, the fourplex I purchased had heroin dealers in it. And nice it was an old lady that lived in a nursing home. Her family saw the liability with that property and they wanted it gone. And I took it with everything the way it was. So I was a problem solver. That's all I am as a wholesaler is a problem solver. Nice. nice. Yeah, nice. I think I think that's well put. Well, hey, who? before we leave the wholesale topic, I want to find out a couple questions about cash buyers. Like when you're selling these things, are you primarily selling to flippers or landlords or both? Or which one do you prefer? It's a mix of both. And this is where my, my love of sales uh, comes to my advantage. The best deals to wholesale are going to be rehabs to cash buyers. And what I like to do is uh, every couple months, we'll have a title where the title company will give us a report of all cash transactions in our target markets. We can then see what companies are buying the most properties. And that gives us a good indicator of one, who the big dogs are, two, everything in California is public record. So you can go look at that deal, see what it was bought for, what it was sold for. We can then find the buyers who buy at the thinnest margins. Those are the people that you want to sell your deals to. And 
in most cases, I'm I'm buying a deal for the same price the average rehabber would buy it for. It's just that I'm selling it to the to the rehabber who will buy at the highest price. Nice. And so we'll so anything that's a flip, we'll go to them. Uh, in San Diego, not too many are going to make sense as a rental, but the few that do, I have wholesale to buy and hold buyers. And it's a more detailed process because a flip is a say a six month decision. You know, you're going to be gone with that thing in six months, whereas a rental, you're, you've got long term. You know things, and so now that I've owned a fourplex, I can present a rental in a more professional manner. You know, I'm going to give them a profit and loss sheet. I'm going to be able to tell them what the market rents are. I'm going to be able to tell them, you know, what the tenants are paying for, what the lease is state. And so we're really presenting it to them as as an investment opportunity and less of a flip. And it takes a much more detailed and professional approach if you're going to succeed at selling a buy and hold deal. And those, uh, you know, those prepared reports that you've got the professional package. Uh, that that you put together is one of the advantages that you have over the next guy as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and you've got to answer every single one of their questions before they ask it. If uh, we we wholesale the triplex to an individual who actually got a conventional loan to buy it and closed in three weeks, and we sold it for more because it was in his. We knew it was in his target market. He owned other rentals in that area. We found that from a title search, so we called him and said, "Hey, you own you know two on the street. You want another one?" We know that he is the person that wants that deal more than anyone, but we had to present him with all the details so that he could move forward. And in California, they need to know about the tenants, if they've got problem tenants, what the lease estate, um, who's paying for what. All of those items are critical. I, if I was going to buy a deal, I want that. So I know I need to present that to whoever's going to buy one of mine. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, different uh, properties for different types of people. So you need to just do your research and find out who wants what. Uh, so speaking of that, then how many uh, cash buyers do you have on your list and how many do you need? How much does a wholesaler need? I think I've got about 200 on my list and I've probably only sold to six of those people. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's it, actually it, a really good point, right? Like you don't, like you don't need 200 necessarily. You, you really don't. I mean, I, I'm kind of torn. I think it depends on your, your, your availability of time. For me, because I'm doing so many things, I would rather find the deal and then find the right buyer for that deal. So if it's, we just wholesaled a, a teardown where literally it's, it's, it's in a tremendous zoning where you can put three townhomes on it. Uh, so we tied up the deal. I shot it out to some of my regular buyers, but they're all rehabbers. They don't want a development deal. So we had to reverse engineer and find a local individual who is developing in the area. And he bought it right away. So there, there would have been no need for me to go out and find those types of buyers until I have that type of deal. So I think you should have rehabber buyers, but then find the rest when you have the deal. So, so you think buyers list comes after the deal then, obviously? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So, so, so newbies, you know, the, those folks are telling newbies, go build a buyers list, go for $9.97. I'll teach you how to build the biggest buyers list in the world. Yeah. That's a bad idea. A waste of your time probably. Yeah, you, I mean, you could honestly do both. And I'm a, we've just got a new website up. So we'll have a link where buyers can go to the website and opt in to the buyers list. And so what I would like to do is send a mailer to all the cash buyers for the last 90 days and say, you know, we're wholesalers, go to this link, add yourself to our buyers list. Then we've, we've easily added more buyers that way. And so I, I think people should do both. But if you're going to ask me what's more important, hands down the deal. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I'm with Josh. Sorry. I always see like ads online all the time that just say things about cash buyers. And I think the reason why is because that's that's something that's very easy and like, uh, what's the word? Attainable, right? So yeah. if, if you pay $1,000 to learn how to build a cash buyers list, you think you got $1,000 worth of 
work because all of a sudden you have a cash buyers list. It you got matter. a list. That's all you got. Yeah, you got nothing. It doesn't matter that yeah. it doesn't give you anything. Like it, it will never produce without the other half, which is the d- more difficult half right. is finding the deals or not even well, half. Well, even before that, hold on. Before that, you got to know what a deal is, right? Yeah. And we haven't yeah. talked about that. We have not covered that at all right now. And and we probably should for sure chat about that. I mean, you know, you can't just go and say, I'm going to lock in a contract on a <clears throat> deal without it being an actual deal. Otherwise, you can't get it out to the next guy. So, you know, you got to buy at some kind of discount to what that thing's going to retail at, particularly if you're if you're buying it to, to send to a flipper because uh, they got to make their money. So what are you buying these deals at? What, what kind of discount are you buying to a future uh, uh, ARV? Obviously, I'm trying to get it as low as I can. Um, I know that typically a rehab has to, the highest they'll usually sell around here is at about 82% of ARV. Uh, that might sound high, but the spreads are larger in California, so you, people are still making decent margins on their money. Um, I was listening to a really good podcast you guys did with Mike Nelson, and he said, look, I, I, I don't care about the ARV. I look and see what people are currently buying flips at in my market, and that is, the, that is exactly what you should be doing because my market is different than a lot of other individuals, and so you look for trends, you look for what the market is telling you. Um, and so if you see the deals are closing at one number and then being listed at another number, you're, the, the market is telling you where they're being bought and where they're being sold. So you just have to operate within that range. And the, it really just comes down to being very aware of what is actually going on in your market. Gotcha. And wh- where have you found like the seven guys who've, uh, who've actually been your, your real buyers, the, your actual buyers list versus your fantasy buyers list? What, uh, where, where did, where did those guys come from? Were they all through the website or were they people you met at clubs or, or bigger pockets or what, what was that? One of them actually messaged me through bigger pockets about Woo-hoo! a year, yeah. a year before we did a deal. And he, uh, and he's actually one of my favorite people to work with. And, uh, most of them come from the meet real estate meetings or title searches, because you'll see you'll see who the, the big players are and you, you want to work with the big players uh, for your for your standard bread and butter flip in my market. The person that's going to pay the most for it, move the quickest is my big buyer. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. Well, Hey, let's move on to talk a little bit uh, about a question that I love to ask people. What is the best deal you've ever done? Oh man. Um, <laughs> Off the top of your head. T- my favorite one is a, it was a $48,000 wholesale fee over a round of beers. Wow. And Let's hear that. Really? St- we yeah. have to hear that story. I want to hear that. I want to. So, that. and it's generated one of the greatest friendships I've ever had in real estate, too, which is probably worth more than the money we made. But I spoke at the uh, gosh, it's investors' workshops, Orange County. They have a little bonus session so at the Sean, beginning. Sean, Watkins. Sean, and yeah. April, and yeah. they had me speak at the beginning, and it was kind of a story of a you know a new person who had failed and struggled, and the steps that they took to implement to become successful. So I was kind of going through the whole experience and I met a, a gentleman by the name of Sean Katona afterwards and we're drinking beers. He goes, you know, I got this deal and he usually rehabs because I just I'm not sure if I want to rehab it. I don't really have the money. I'm going to wholesale it. I was like, well, cool. You know, well, what, what are the numbers? Tell me the numbers. And he goes, okay, well, you know, it's worth, I think he said it was worth, you know, 600 and he was going to wholesale it for, you know, I think it was 410 or something like that or 420. He was going to make 10 grand on it. And I knew instantly that there was a lot more to be made on this deal. And so I just basically said, Sean, can I have one day to try and sell this deal? I said, how much will you be happy getting a check for? And he thought about it for a second. He goes, if I can get 30 grand, I'm happy. I said, okay, give me one day. 
So I made a couple phone calls and I had a buyer lined up and the next day I called him and I said, well, I got your 30 grand. Goes, really? Yep. We got it. So we lined up the buyer. We opened escrow. He was just out of curiosity. How much are you making? I said 18. And so <laughs> I made 18 grand for a phone call, but I also made him a lot more than he expected to make. So over a round of drinks, we <clears throat> generated a $48,000 wholesale fee and a fantastic friendship. We've done, I think, two or three more deals since then. He's taught me a ton about his side of the business. And then I've taught him a lot about properly wholesaling and how to get the most dollar for your deal. And hands down, probably one of my favorite deals. And that, and that phone call was only possible because you... Did you have relationships with, with the guys that you were calling at that point? Or were they... They weren't just cold, like buyers list people. They were folks you you you, you That was actually about. my... That was my bigger pockets referral buyer. And... I mean, I actually, I told a small line. I actually text message. He likes to talk by a text message. So I sold the deal <laughs> by a text. Nice. So okay. I don't think we even spoke. <laughs> nice. Nice. And that's the day you went pro on bigger pockets, right? <laughs> uh, I think today is that day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely hey, done, Josh. Really, really quick uh, for everybody listening. This is show 67 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And you could check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 67. All right. So, so that was, that was the best deal. That sounds like a lot of fun. It, it was great. And it was, it, it's, everything is so relationship based. Yeah. And, and that was what was so great about it. It was, yeah. it was a win for everybody. And I, I'm, I'm learning now from this person. Yeah, for sure. What what about the worst deal? What your least favorite deal? Because oh. I I they they might be different, won't they? My worst deal. It was probably my first deal, honestly. Um, and so I'm very sentimental about it. But basically, I was helping a friend. He called me out on being a half-assed wholesaler and said, "Maybe." <laughs> he said, "Maybe this isn't for you." Nice. And that stung. It really stung. And. So it was a uh, two houses in Desert Hot Springs, California, which is just scummy desert properties. It's probably the Detroit of the desert for Josh. And <laughs> yeah, baby, Detroit. We we'd actually the contract had expired on it with the buy with the seller, and we I managed to find a buyer, and so we went back to the seller and said, "Hey, we we can close now. We're ready to go." And the seller changed their tune and basically said, "We want ten thousand dollars more." And that was our wholesale fee. So we kind of thought we were done. And I'm just, I mean, this has been a year, guys. I'm trying to get my first check. I am like foaming at the mouth just to get a piece of paper in my hand that is telling me I've not wasted a year of my life, you know? And so we went back to the buyer and just said, look, we're so sorry, but the seller is renegotiating and he wants 10,000 more. That's our wholesale fee. Is there any chance you can just give us a little more just so that we can cover our costs? I said, can you just give us $2,500? He said, okay. You know, it was a fair deal already. So he was okay with it. Well, there was two other individuals involved in this deal. And uh, one of these individuals was having very hard times. So his power had just gotten shut off. Um, I'm doing very well at my day job. My other friend is doing very well wholesaling. So we made the decision basically to close the deal and give all of the money to the other individual. So I just asked for a check for a dollar. I just, I just want to check for a dollar so that I can say I closed my first deal. And it was a, it was actually a hard experience because you're, you're taking something that you've wanted more than anything in your life for the last year. And you're basically letting it go and saying somebody else needs this more than I do. And so I agreed to do it. And I remember I, I had this little bottle of champagne a friend had given me to drink when I closed my first deal 
And I remember just kind of like sitting there at my desk and the deal's closed. I'm thinking about the dollar and I just like drank the entire bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> well, but listen, I think that says, I think that says a lot about you, man. And I, I think, uh, I think anybody in SoCal who's listening to the show is, is getting ready to, to add you to their, I got to get in touch with this guy list because I don't know, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool of you to, to do that. And, and, you know, putting, putting them ahead of yourself. I, I think that's really admirable. So, uh, yeah, kudos. Thank you. Well, I've been, I've been very lucky to have a few good friends who've expressed the importance of, of charity on me. And the, the, the nice twist to that story is we went to escrow to get our check and we open up the envelope and there's two checks for $2,500 there. The seller, or sorry, the buyer misunderstood me when we asked for an extra twenty five hundred, and he thought it was per house, not oh. for the whole deal. So we had five thousand in there. So uh, my friend Luis and I, we split the twenty five hundred, and we gave the other twenty five hundred as we'd intended to the other person who you know who was really in need. That's awesome. And so we ended up being rewarded for our, our charitable efforts. <laughs> oh, nice! That's cool. Oh, that's that. That really is cool. Hey, so you had, you had talked about rentals and, and we're starting to run out of time here a little bit, but uh, do you have more than just the one rental at this point or, or do you have multiples? And, and are, you, are you looking to build that side of your business out or, or, or what's up? My, my ultimate dream is to own a trailer park. Um, I do own a fourplex that I purchased via the uh, ever elusive FHA 203K rehab loan. Nice. And... I love that fourplex. I just bought a house this summer in Oceanside that's right by the beach and uh, I rehabbed that. So I'm kind of, I'm happy with what I have right now. Honestly, I, if I can pick up something small and simple, I will. But my goal right now, honestly, is to simplify my life. I, I went like a bull in a China shop last year and, and I paid for it with my sanity. <laughs> so, so does that mean by simplifying your life that you want to do less wholesale deals? Do you want to do less business or ju- just kind of enough to to get by or I, you know, because I, I think there's always this, well, you got to keep building your business. You got to keep building your business. But, you know, I think it was uh, Paula Pant, uh, the show we did with Paula where, you know, we had talked about building this lifestyle business. And, and I think there's, there's definitely a difference, right? You know, do you want to build a business so you can chill out and hang out on the beach or do you want to build a business that you're going to be working at for the next X amount of time? That, that's exactly it. I mean, I was at Best Buy today buying a microphone for this podcast and the girl said, Oh, are you not working today? I was like, yeah, I'm working. I'm wearing sandals and shorts and, you know, I'm very happy that I'm working this way. So I, I'm after more of a lifestyle, to be honest with you. I, last year, I turned wholesaling into a job, which was what I was trying. I was wholesaling to get out of a job and I'd fallen right into the exact same thing. Yeah. And, and I think I'm glad you said that as well, because, you know, I, I think most folks who, who don't know, see flipping houses and wholesaling is a way to get out of the quote unquote rat race. However, you know, both of those are their jobs, right? Yep. I mean, they, they are absolutely jobs. Yeah. It's, it, I'm in the process of training someone now and until, until I can go away for two weeks and the business still earns money, it's a job. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a job until then. That's, yeah. a good, that's a good tweetable topic right there. I'll put that up on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 67. But uh, final question I want to ask before we head on is how do you plan on using those people? You're training somebody underneath you. How do you want to implement other people to help that lifestyle business develop? That's kind of two part for me. So um, they're probably in the background. They're probably going to hear me say this and call me out if I, if I lie <laughs> about it too. So, it's my personality suits 
the more out, you know, going out, meeting sellers, you know, going to the events, uh, selling the deals. I, I, so I'm training someone who can handle the back end operations. I want them to be screening the calls uh, to the motivated sellers. I want them to be logging all the data. I want them to be doing the follow up work, monitoring all the systems. Um, so I'm basically I want someone who's going to run the back end of the business for me, and then I can be free to, you know, kind of I, I get like an, an APB that we got a hot lead in this place, and then yeah. then it's on to me. My job is not to deal with the filtering anymore. It's just to deal with the hot leads. You're the yep. closer. Yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. and it makes sense. I mean, that that goes with the whole eighty twenty principle that you know Tim Ferriss is you know kind of popularized. Though I know it, you know, bigger than Tim Ferriss, but the whole idea of whatever you're good at, like that twenty percent, focus on that, outsource the rest, uh, let other people take care of that, and you can work, you know, four hours a week or whatever it is the, you know, the goal is. So very cool, very Pareto cool. Pareto's principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not Tim Ferriss principle. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying he popularized it. Right. Yeah, okay. okay. I mean, just, just, just clarifying here. <laughs> but all right. Well, why don't we move on to the... It's time for the fire round. All right. The fire round. These are questions that are straight from the forums. So we're going to throw them at you and you have no idea what's coming. So first all right. Of, let's do this. First of all, do you sell only to cash buyers and because you already kind of answered that question, I want to reframe it to what should a new investor do? Should they avoid only like financing buyers or only work with cash buyers? Or how should a new investor do that? They should stick to cash buyers. Um, that deal that we did with the finance buyer was one of the most complex real estate transactions I've ever been a part of. And to, to start out doing that, it would have been an absolute mess. So it's stick to the cash buyers. Um, there's, there's other ways to turn a, a lead like that into income generating. And it would probably mean referring it out to another wholesaler or to a listing agent, or it's, it's a poor use of your time. How, uh, for, for those people listening, how can somebody make money referring a lead to another wholesaler? How would they monetize that? Just, you know, uh, if you could explain sure. it out for us. That's, that's one of my favorite ways to work about a, a quarter to a third of my business is working with other wholesalers. You Basically, they might have a deal and they can't find a buyer or vice versa. And you've got to leverage your strong suit. So for me, my strong suit is selling. So if someone else has a deal and they can't find a buyer, I can take the time to reverse engineer who the best buyer is and turn what is probably a not so great deal into almost, you know, like to, to generate some income, almost like we're playing like a, like a buyer's agent or a listing agent where we're, we're specifically targeting that exact perfect buyer and we wholesale it to them. Great. So, great. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you collect a wholesale fee, and and uh, they collect a wholesale fee, and everybody collects a fee, and that's that's, I want it. A fee. that's it. Can I get one? Yes, yeah, and it it builds great camaraderie amongst yeah. your local investor community too. So you always want to be there to help your other wholesalers. They're they are not competitors. They're your they're your allies. Tweetable topic right there. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. All right. Here's the next one. If somebody only has about five hundred bucks a month for marketing, is it worth it? That's a tough one. I think I would tell them to go door knocking and get handed some serious rejection and get used to being really on their feet. And I think if they've got the guts to go door knocking and try it and, and no matter what happens, they're still enthusiastic about real estate, then yeah, I think they should send out some mailers to get the phones ringing. But I think the first thing they should do is, is get up off their feet and go knock on some doors and see uh, what happens. I agree. And I, I tell you what, that was the first thing I did when I was an agent. 
I, I found a farm that I wanted and I created these, these really cool door hangers that I printed with my face, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I literally knocked on every door in the neighborhood. And that was terrifying, absolutely yeah. <laughs> terrifying, but, but taught me a lot and taught me, you know, that people aren't going to bite you. And the, the ones that do, you just kind of move on and, and that's it. And you get to learn and, and, and really uh, know those neighborhoods that you're farming. It's, it's like a commitment by action. If, if I knew somebody had gone door knocking and then they asked me for help, I'm 10 times more likely to help them because I know they've just gone and done one of the scariest things you can do uh, in, in business. And that might be my favorite tip from this entire show is right there that if, if you're out there, if our listeners, they want to get into wholesaling and they want to find a mentor of some kind, like what you just said there is perfect. Like go out and do something scary first. Go out and prove that you're serious about this business and then go and talk to somebody about, hey, do you want to work with me and help me out? Yeah, that's exactly it. All the difference in the world. I love that. Very cool. Well done. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, next uh, fire round question. Somebody called on my direct mail and they were extremely angry. They left a voicemail. Should I call them back? (laughs) You know, I do. Um, This is part of my metrics. I I know the cost per phone call and it averages $40 to $60. So I just paid $60 for that person to tell me to F off. I'm going to (laughs) call them back. You know, so... Yeah, that's a good me, way to look. That's a great way of looking know. at it. Is figuring out how much you make per phone call, and I love that. That's great. I never heard anybody it's, say it's, that before. It is hard not to follow up when you're looking at that lead, and you know that you just sent you, it's sixty dollars is sitting there, and you're not doing anything with it. So, I mean, you you never know. I mean, the odds are that it's probably not a motivated seller, but I think it, there's good practice in doing habits consistently. So, yes, I would call them. So, 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 what was the what was the worst thing somebody's ever said to you? Um, well, that person hasn't called me back, uh, in fact, but, and I've called them a few times. I think some, someone called me a vulture, you know, someone's called me, you know, things like, I, 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 I could care less. I'm not affected in the least by those things. There I just go. wish them a, a great day and move on to the next lead. Nice. Nice. All right. So in wholesaling, when a house is put under contract to be assigned to a buyer, who, who's responsible for the property being inspected? Is it you? Is it the you, the wholesaler? Is it the uh, the end flipper who, who, who takes uh, care of that? That is 100% on the buyer. And this is another way to weed out your tire kickers or other wholesalers is I require a $5,000 non-refundable deposit to tie up my deal. You do not get an inspection period. I will give you full access to the property so that you can do your due diligence and I want you to be comfortable but you cannot secure this deal until you're ready to write a check for the entire property. So you're going to give me a $5,000 non-refundable deposit. The buyer is responsible for all due diligence. Interesting. Got it. Got it. And did you do that all along or did that uh, come out of getting burned? Uh, That was actually guidance from another uh, respected wholesaler and it eliminates the tire kickers and it really pushes you towards the serious buyers. I mean, as long as it's not hanging off the side of a cliff, They'll be able to tell you within half an hour if they can buy it and what their number is. And those are the people you sell your deals to. Yep. Uh, and, and I just want to be clear because I may have missed it. Will, will you let somebody see the property? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Definitely. I'm just sure. yeah. they, I want to give them full access. They can view it. They can get a contractor in it. I want them to be 100% comfortable with the purchase. I'm just saying you cannot secure it to purchase it. Um, until you've done all those things and you're willing to fund a non-refundable. Sure, of course. Hey, I, I want to go back. Uh, now that you said that, I know this is fire round, but whatever. I want to... how did the rules. Yeah, you know me. I'm a rebel. All right. So if you get a property under contract, how do you? How does that whole process work then? You talk to a motivated seller. They want to sell it. Do you get a key for the property? Do you call the cash buyer and arrange them to meet the seller at the property? Do all three of you go there? Does it depend on the deal? 
it's it's been a mix. You, you really one of the things about being a good wholesaler and or real estate investor is that you're going to have to adapt as the situations allow. Nine, I mean, if it's a vacant house, my favorite word in the all of real estate is vacant. Uh, we put mm-hmm. on a lockbox, we get a key, and then buyers can go look at it. If it's o- occupied by a tenant, we want to be really respectful of the tenants. Um, I'm, I'm very, I, I preach on that a lot. You want to treat anyone who lives in a home with respect. That's their sanctuary. So as long as they're paying, I mean, if they're a scumbag, then whatever. But, <laughs> the, you know, you're going to schedule it within the tenant schedule. You're going to say, hey, what works for you? You know, when can we get in here? And we might schedule one or two buyers to come view it. So it's, you kind of have to adapt as the situation permits, but you've got to get them in quickly and you've got to give them full access and you have to figure out how you're going to do that. Nice. Nice. Yep. That's awesome. Good stuff. Cool, man. Well, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Why don't we move on to the final segment of the show? This is the one we fondly call the famous four. First question of the famous four is what is your favorite real estate book? Oh my God. I listened to this on the podcast and I still don't know. Um, I don't read a lot of real estate books. And we actually do prepare our guests to let them know that these are the four questions we're (laughs) going to ask them. Clearly, Tim, you were unprepared. I I really enjoy the book, um, Good to Great. It's more of a business book, but that one lately has been a a big impact on me. And I do like Think and Grow Rich as well. I'm actually probably one of the few people who has never read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't think I ever will. There you go. (laughs) Just for principle. Uh, I, I don't like their sales pitches. And so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel it, man. I feel it. All right. What, what about your favorite business book? Um, uh, another guess, favorite business book. I guess so. Um, I just read a book recently called Life and Air. And it's like millionaire, but replaced the word mill with life. And it really flipped my life upside down in regards to what's important. And, you know, I, I don't need a lot of money. I want more experiences. I want more time with my friends and my family. And that book, it... It was a little unusual, but it has had the most impact on me out of any book I've probably read in the last three years. Gotcha. Cool. Right on. Cool. I hadn't heard of that one. All right. What about your hobbies? What do you do for fun? I am an adventure person. So I like scuba diving, surfing. Um, I like doing stupid things with anything that has a motor. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm traveling. I'm a, I love to travel. I went to Belize last year, Australia the year before. Um, my entire goal is just to free myself to travel more, actually. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Final question from me. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who fail or never get started in the first place? I, I thought about this really hard when I heard this. And um, it's, to me, it's awareness. You, there's a level of awareness within certain individuals, which I think allows them to succeed or not. And that can be awareness that you're doing things improperly, awareness that you're afraid, awareness of bad habits. And so I, I think it a general awareness of who you are, what you want, what's important to you, and truly like how you're acting. I mean, a lot of us might say that we're going through the steps to do deals, but you know, we're, we're, we're taking little baby steps because we're scared and we're not admitting to ourselves that we're scared or we're not admitting to ourselves that we're doing the wrong thing. And so for me, it's a level of awareness is necessary to, to take things to that level where you're going to succeed and be happy. Right on, right cool. on. And that was Psychology 102 with Tim Gordon. <laughs> All right, Tim, listen, man, it was a great show. Really, really uh, appreciate the time. And there are definitely a lot of fantastic nuggets in there for both the wholesaler and everybody else listening. So I, I think that's great. Where, uh, where can people find uh, out more information about you? You can go to my website. It is gordonbuyshomes.com. And 
there's information there. I've got a little blog running. And if anyone ever has any questions regarding wholesaling or real estate investing um, or psychology 102, you're welcome to <laughs> send me a message. I'd love to help and encourage new investors or seasoned investors. I've, I, I'm very thankful to Bigger Pockets for having me here. It's I, I, today felt like the day before Christmas. I was so excited. And uh, so the honor of that, I, I, I just want to pay it back by helping anyone I can. So thank That's you awesome. so much. Cool. And, awesome. you, and you do in the forums all the time. I just noticed that today you had a lot of recent stuff in there. And, you know, thank you for that. I, I love it. I just want, I want other people to succeed at this. And, yeah. you know, you guys should be commended for, for building a community that encourages that. Yeah, uh, I, I just I clean up around here. Josh built that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and that that's, that's the ideal. You know, that's what, that's what we do. That's what we, what we strive for. And you're the, you're the guy that we want, you know, you're the, the people, so to speak, that we want. We want people who are there to, you know, not only go out there and change their own lives, but, you know, try and be helpful to others. And, and it, it's great that we fostered that. So it's great. And, you know, speaking of the day before Christmas, I'm sorry you had to put up with the Grinch on the other side of the mic over there, but uh, <laughs> he's all right sometimes. <laughs> All right, Tim, listen, man, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciate having you on the show. For all the listeners, be like Tim, jump in, get involved, read up, listen to the shows and and, uh, Bigger Pockets can help you improve your investing and and really can help you change your life. Uh, So come on board and and be a part of the community. Otherwise, as always, we'll see you on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the other uh, major networks. Uh, Feel free to keep in touch with us there. And last but not least, you know, get out there and make it happen, guys. We, we want to see you be successful. We want to hear about it. So share your stories with us and we'll see you back on Bigger Pockets. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.